This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Leadership Platform, Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society. It's great to be with you. I'm Adrian Grunewald, as always, and with me, the old man, Louis Grunewald. Uh, it's good to have him back with us. For all things leadership, go to leadershipplatform.com. One word, two Ps in the middle. This, of course, is our Monday Leadership Masterclass. We have a special guest in the studio to talk about a, a super important uh, topic all over the world, but definitely in uh, in South Africa seems to be very, very paramount. So um, today's theme will be discussed by uh, Dr. Leon von Fieren, who is an industrial psychologist, also executive director of the Ethics Institute, um, and then he's a strategic partner with CIOPSA, which is the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology of South Africa. He's an adjunct uh, professor and, of course, many, many other wonderful credentials. <laughs> so that's why we have him on the show. That's why we have him on this Leadership Masterclass to talk about ethical leadership in today's world. But first, old man, good to have you back from uh, Singapore. It's, it's really great to be back. I'm looking forward to the subject, Adrian. Because our country, this has taken a completely new dimension recently, and uh, I'm pretty excited about the subject. It feels like we had to go through hell to get to this uh, new dimension, uh, through a bit of a desert, a dearth of ethical leadership in many respects, and, and here we are. Uh, we have some hope and, and there's some light at the end of the tunnel. So yeah, um, Dr. Leon van Fieren, welcome. Thank you, Orion, and thanks for the opportunity and the introduction. So... Leon, we've asked you to come with a couple of statements that best describe the ethical leader needed in today's society. 2018, at this stage, I'm sure what we discussed today will be relevant many years hence, but we live in interesting times, very interesting times. All sorts of ethical questions asked about social media, about information access, about politicians, about, ah, we can just go on all day long. Um, but take us through the first statement. So... Let's go through these statements, and we'll discuss them individually as a panel, and we trust leaders out there will derive great benefit from it. The first one you mentioned is an ethical leader has got ethical courage. Yes. Tell us what you mean by that. Ethical courage is the conviction to stand up for you what you believe in, even if it's very difficult to do so. And to, for example, for a leader in business to walk away from a deal if he doesn't feel comfortable with a deal. And that's very difficult to do for leaders. Um, people often talk the leadership talk, but when they have to act, um, it's very difficult in, in uh, under pressure, pressurized circumstances to actually walk away from a deal and to, to have ethical courage. So I can have an ethical conscience. Yes. I can know what's right and wrong. And Correct. I think most people sense that. They yes, feel they it. Yes, they do. But do I have the courage of my convictions to do something about it, to stand up in a meeting in front of my colleagues and peers Great. and to actually say and do something. Louis, that's an interesting point. I think we have a lot of ethical conscience. Most people do. We know when we do wrong, don't we? We're born with that in a, in a sense in some ways. There are very few real ethical dilemmas in the world, especially in business. Mm. Uh, most people know the difference between right and wrong. And there are a few things on which we differ, but they're, they're surprisingly few. Very interesting. But ethical courage, Louis? What I love about the principle... Leon, is the, the tremendous benefits you can, uh, you can achieve if a leader is consistently uh, honest and courageous because it builds a lot of trust around him. And trust is, the, trust is of course, the currency of a, of a leader. Um, trust is the end result. Uh, it's also the currency. It's what leaders deal in. Uh, but just, just going back to the ethical courage, it was, I was very, very hap uh, happily surprised 
that um, Cyril Ramaphosa, in his, um, when he did the State of the Nation address, he, he actually, uh, within the first few sentences, used the words ethical leadership and ethical behavior. And, and, and that bodes very well. Uh, it's not always what one says, but it's always also how you say it. Yeah. So if, if, if another politician says to you, we must root out corruption, um, you know, you're skeptical. But he comes across as quite authentic, and and I he, it had to take a lot of courage for him to 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 actually use those words in the state of the nation address because now he has to put his money where his mouth is. Interesting point, and that's a, probably a whole new discussion. Is one person, one leader, can say something ethical, uh, and another can say the same thing, but you believe the one, you don't believe the other. Obviously, track record, all those things play a role, but but beyond that. Uh, you know, it's how you come across, how you say it, and then obviously your actions. But what stops someone from having ethical courage? You have a view on that? One or two, three things? Fear. Mm-hmm. Fear of victimization, fear of failure. Um, there's also pressure, stakeholder pressure, in particular, shareholder pressure. Mm. Uh, many, many leaders still operate with a, um, with a, with what they have in mind is, is to, to appease this, the, the shareholders. Mm. Um, you know, chasing the dime. Going for the bottom line, and there's a lot of pressure. And and sometimes, because of that pressure, it's easier to cut corners and not to demonstrate ethical courage. And as I said initially, to for example, walk away from a deal you that you feel uncomfortable with. You have a view on on um, Marcus Uster and the whole Steinoff thing. Obviously, ethical leadership is at the heart of that, or lack of it. Mm. Uh, there doesn't didn't seem to be ethical courage. But it also goes. Sorry to 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 build on my point. It's interesting. Um, a whole team can have ethical courage to stand up against the leader or not, or uh, it's the leader, one would assume because he or she has a position, can stand up and have ethical courage. But uh, it's difficult when when the boss, who's well entrenched in the business and the organization, acts unethically or have suspicion of it. It's much easier to ignore it and and walk away from it, as opposed to, for me as the boss, to stand up against someone who's my junior and saying unethical behavior. So a lot of dynamics, aren't they? There, there, there are many dynamics. Uh, you know, normally your your unethical leader, um, they are frequently they're highly charismatic, extremely, extremely intelligent, um, great manipulators. Um, we can go into the psychology of this, but I don't think it's a forum for that. But but and they actually have a tendency to surround themselves with incompetent people mm. to make them look good and to make them feel better and. Incompetent people are easy to manipulate. So your, your, your good and credible ethical leaders surround, do not feel threatened. They actually surround themselves with good leaders. We look at some of the ministers that our former president surrounded himself with. Luckily, some of them are gone. But <laughs> you're incompetent, plain incompetent. Mm. And it worked for the president because you can manipulate. All right. Uh, just You asked about Marcus Eurster. Mm. Uh, just interesting. You know, um, uh, if we stand back and we look at some of the um, unethic, the ethical lapses that we've seen in organisations um, in the last last few months, um, of which Steinhoff is one, uh, one should be very careful not to think that um, something just something bad just happened and it's a once-off. It's a, a ethical failure is often caused by many wrongs in the past that accumulates and that is not that is not dealt with. That suddenly, it's almost like overinflating a tire that just all comes together and there's maybe a, just a small trigger and things, and things go wrong. Mm. Thanks for that, Leon. So um, 
Let's go to the second point. Sure. Talk of humility avoids corporate arrogance. So that's what an ethical leader should uh, have. Tell us about that one. Uh, let's start with uh, corporate arrogance. Corporate arrogance, one often sees that in uh, manifest in two ways. One is what I call corporate opulence, where organizations build huge new buildings where they sometimes don't really need them, um, almost as a statement um, for their competitors. Um, and But what they also do then is in the same year, they retrench 3,000 people. So that is, that is, for me, often the arrogance that comes through where there's a lack of humility is where there's, where there's excessive opulence um, and it's ethically insensitive. It may not be unethical to erect a new building in the middle of Santon, but it surely is ethically insensitive if you've also in the same year retrenched 3,000 people. Very interesting point that. Uh, we see a lot of that, don't we? Yes, we yes, see it in the mining do. industry. We see it in the mining industry, um, and it's almost a, you know, my building is bigger than yours type of thing. Um, while, you know, there are many people out there that are really poor, that are suffering, uh, it's almost a, um, uh, a, a big tick mark for capitalism um, and endorsing the dark side of capitalism rather than saying, you know, but let's, let's have a broader stakeholder perspective on things. Um, instead of building a building that's worth a billion rand, um, surely you could build one um, that's only three stories high and at two at two hundred and fifty million, and um, use the other seven hundred and fifty million for corporate social investment, giving back to society where your workers come from, where your where your your consumers come from. That'll be a very interesting conversation with some CEOs. So, so you're saying this humility of an ethical leader can sometimes sometimes be or lack of ethical leadership could perhaps be seen when um, uh, through corporate opulence. Yes. So that's corporate a start. Op- it's one of the possible signs yes. that that could be the case. Yes, very much so. And, and uh, another thing is dehumanizing the employees. Um, and an example of that would be, um, again, um, retrenchments. Now, a very good example of uh, where where employees are dehumanized is the use of the word headcount to refer to the number of employees that are, that are on your payroll. Headcount totally dehumanizes because the word human or people do not disappear there. And then it's, it's easier to cut, to, to cut the headcount than it is to retrench people. Yeah, very interesting point. That language happens a heck of a lot. Louis, your opinion about uh, corporate opulence, corporate arrogance, showing a lack of humility? Uh, Leon, I'm sure you agree that that this easily becomes a culture where you start little lies and becomes a corporate language. You say one thing to the boardrooms and something else to the staff and the public outside. We went to exercise right here. Uh, leadership consultants are supposed to be by by reputation, you know, kind of high level people, especially the clients we have. We realized, listen, that's just a modern world makes sense. We decided to move towards the digital and uh, work from our own homes, and we've been far more effective because of it. And I think it's it's also a case of uh, of honesty. You know, what do you really want? Um, customers aren't fooled by that. Not anymore, I don't think. No. No, you know, just just to add to that, uh, uh, if you if the executive suite, you know, in one of these big glass buildings are being decorated, 
at the same time that, in, that the announcement is made that employees will not receive bonuses this year due to bad finan- inadequate financial performance of the company. You know, that is also a, a form of arrogance. It's a, um, it's a disregard of, of the legitimate rights, human rights of the different stakeholders, in particular, in this case, the employees. What's interesting is in the past it was easy to get away with this because we weren't that connected. And, and employees didn't necessarily speak up. They didn't feel they had a voice, the ordinary citizen, the ordinary individual in society. Now they've got as much power through social media and our interconnectedness that, than the, the so-called powerful people have. All right, so let's move on from that. The first one, let me just ca- uh, uh, you know, sort of capture it again. A statement that you define an ethical leader in our time is a leader that's got ethical courage. We discussed that. The second one is a leader that's got humility, who avoids corporate arrogance, corporate opulence, and, and those sort of sort of elements. So a fascinating topic, that. And then the third one you've got here, the third statement that described an ethical leader, it, they have a deep understanding and belief of why ethics matter in business. I think you can go to most CEOs or leaders in organizations, and they'll tell you ethics matter. How do you know whether they have a deep understanding or just an understanding or it's just a superficial sort of statement? Well, it's usually lip service because that's what uh, King Ford corporate governance wants is um, that um, it's, we, we've actually in, in, in business society, we've moved beyond asking the question why business ethics matters, why organizations should be ethical and also manage their ethics. However, um, when, when the crunch is on and, the, and, and in really in, in, in difficult discussions, in, uh, when organizations are struggling financially, it puts a lot of pressure on, on, on ethics. And again, the mistakes are made. You know, I, one can say that uh, organization should be ethical because it's the right thing to do. A very noble way of looking at it. But in fact, and a bit of a cynical take on it, is many organizations don't realize that if we're unethical, it's going to cost us a lot of money. The cost of unethical behavior is astronomical. As you've seen with corporate fines at the competition tribunal, as you've seen with um, the organizations that have to uh, to recall products uh, where they're losing hundreds of millions, it's 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 a it, unethical behavior costs a lot. In particular, where organizations lied about whether there was unethical behavior or not. More so today than 20, 30, 50 years ago? Very much so. Very much so. And I think that is, um, if you, the rise of the field of business ethics was actually triggered at the end of the 80s with, um, with the Ford Pinto scandal of the time. And then, of course, we had Enron in 2001 and, and then lots of legislation. The legislation was there particularly to protect vulnerable stakeholders because organizations had so much power that they could literally do as they wanted. Um, for example, environmental damage. Hmm. And then um, in terms of recording products, uh, they often wait too long. Mm. Um, So they don't understand the importance of of, of ethics in that sense, that you don't wait for people to die because of a product if you know that there is a possibility. And we've seen that with pharmaceutical companies. We've seen it with motor vehicle manufacturers. We've seen it around the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the world we live in is, is very interesting. Okay. A deep understanding and belief of why ethics matter in business. Old man, you want to add anything? Yes, Arjun. I think that uh, I was hoping the discussion would orientate towards uh, the close connection between authentic leadership and, of course, uh, 
ethical standards, and that's exactly what, what uh, we're doing right now. The next point you highlight, uh, Leon, is ethics competence. So I'm gathering you could believe you want to be an ethical leader, you want an ethical organization, but you're just so incompetent and clumsy when it comes mm. to it or something. Mm. Uh, educate us, yeah? Okay, just out of interest, a bit of background. Um, our CEO and a uh, good colleague of mine, Dion Rousseau, coined the phrase ethics competence. Now, ethics competence is um, consists of three three sections. One is um, a cognitive competence, and and it's not something uh, it's not something that one just has. It's something that one can actually acquire. It can be learned. It can be taught in and leadership uh, in leadership courses in modules. Is ethical reasoning. Cognitive competence is about ethical reasoning, but also identifying ethical challenges, and then having the the um, the wherewithal to actually uh, follow up on that and, and 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 reason about it and look for alternatives. It's not something that everyone just comes naturally to everyone. That's the first type of con- competence. It's an ethics. It's, it's a cognitive competence. Okay. The second type is a behavioral competence. And here's where you have to walk the talk. You can't have two personalities, one on weekends and the other one during the week when you're at work. Um, you also have to behave ethically. Otherwise, if you don't behave ethically, you have no credibility as a leader. Mm. Um, and, and, and people do not believe, or they wouldn't, I mean, they would frown upon it if you said to them, hey, you guys have to do, to do the right thing. Um, but then they will say, but who are you to talk? And unfortunately, you see the, these two different lives that leaders sometimes lead coming out at the office party at 9.30 on a Friday night. Mm. Um, then, you, then you see the real uh, you know, leaders come out and there. So managerial competence, uh, uh, apologies, behavioral competence is how do they behave. And the last one is managerial competence. Managers need to, leaders need to realize that they can actually manage ethics in the organization. Ethics is manageable. It's a fundamental error to say that people are either ethical or they're not, and there's not much we can do about it. Let's hope for the best. One can actually manage ethics. You may not be able to cheat to change someone's inherent integrity. Integrity is something that somebody has inside them that you can't really see. But what you can see is behavior, and you can change behavior. So leaders need to understand that they have to have a competence, also managerial ethics competence, and manage ethics appropriately in the organization. All right, so cognitive, um, behavioral, and managerial. Managerial. That's managing it and, and creating an environment in which Correct. you can thrive rather than just it. And where people are not afraid to speak up about ethics mm. or to ask ethics-related questions. Okay. Louis, uh, ethics competence makes sense. Those three levels, very interesting. Uh, plus, uh, plus the added comment about, uh, I suppose you measure it in your case, Leon, to what extent uh, people are not afraid to, to speak about these issues. If they're wary of speaking about it, then that's a warning sign, I imagine. That if people don't want to talk about ethics, uh, uh, Louis, you, you, you mentioning a very, very important thing. Ethics talk is probably the most powerful instrument to bring about ethical culture change or bring about ethical change in an organization. The willingness to talk about ethics and to encourage people to do, talk about ethics is extremely important. And um, again, if, this, if, if, if leaders are morally mute or ethically mute, they do not have any type of statement around ethics. They, there's no indication of what the right thing to do is for their employees, for example. But just getting back to the competencies, if I may. Um, now, this is where an organization and, and with their professionals like Psyopsa um, plays a very important role. Um, now, 
SEOPSA is the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology of South Africa, and it's really the, uh, an important contribution that industrial psychologists can make in helping the organizations to get the good apples into the organization, the good leaders, and by doing proper selection and incorporating integrity assessments, for example, in in, in, in the selection of leaders and not just, um, you know, having a one-hour interview and maybe a glancing through a CV. I, I should have probably started with this, but it popped into my head right now. What is the basic standard definition of ethics? Ethics is doing what's good for oneself, but also for others. Now, but we have to analyze that a little. Um, the, uh, doing what's good for self. The self could be an individual, a group, or an organization. The other could be an individual, a group, or an organization. So if an organization um, is doing good for, if the self is the organization, the stakeholders would be the other. Okay. But there's, of course, a challenge here in that definition. Because uh, if, uh, how, let's say you have an organization with 5,000 employees. How do, you, how do you define the good? In other words, how do you get all 5,000 employees to all believe in the, in the, in the same thing, um, in the, in the, to all have the same instincts about and, 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 and in, insight into what is good, right, and just? Yeah. The first challenge. And normally organizations try and demonstrate the good visibly by having codes of ethics and ethics-related policies. Mm. But then again, there's another challenge. Is how, on a con- how, how do you balance what's good for the self, what's good for the other, on a daily basis? And make money and deliver Correct. for the shareholder and so on. And, that's, and that fine line between um, uh, so, so balancing what's good for self and balancing what's good for other, I call tongue-in-cheek your point of reasonable greed. Okay. Explain. Um, I think when do you have enough money? And yeah, I'm talking pretty much, very much private sector, corporates, um, not, not referring to public sector. But is it, you know, when, when do you actually make, when, when do you have enough? When are you big enough? When, when are you big you? enough? When do you have enough? Because when you exceed that and when greed kicks in, there's stakeholder harm. Inevitably. And when do you decide that greed has kicked in? When is your mind big enough? When is your bank big enough? When, when, you, have, when you have humility. Mm. When you can reflect and you have deep, deep empathy. You, know, you've, you need to have empathy for stakeholders because you need to balance the interests of all stakeholders. And also the context, uh, Leon. So... so What's good on the Exco level? So Exco looks at at um, the negative impact on the community, but they measure and they say the impact used to be eighty percent negative on the community. It's now forty percent. So we think ethically we're moving in the right direction. The guy at the very bottom who goes to the same school as someone else, and they find out you work for that organisation, they say, "Look at how you're destroying the community. You're an unethical organisation." Because it's impacting me directly. But if you looked at where the CEO looked at it from, we're improving. We're getting better. Is it ethical to let people die on the job in mining? Well, you know, we used to have hundreds die in a year. Now we have dozens dying in a year. So are we ethical in terms of our caring for people, the loss of life, fatalities? So the context at which level you are can be different. Coming back to what you said, how do you get 5,000 people to agree what the ethical standard in our organization is? So context is a big thing. Very big thing. And not easy for a leader. It's a, the polarity thing, you know. How do you, how do you balance these polarities in, in leadership? All right, thank you for that definition. So you gave a definition with gaps in them, and then you explained mm. a little bit more around them. <laughs> you also say ethical leader must be accountable and can admit mistakes and apologize for them. 
Mm. Coming back to the humility thing a little bit. Uh, yes, definitely. It links to that. But also, um, your good leaders, and, and the Japanese are past masters at this, is if, it's, if a mistake is made in the organization, they, the, the, the approach is, how can we fix this and prevent it from happening again? There's, not, there's no blame cost. Um, you know, we in, in, in South Africa and, 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 and other countries um, around the world, there's often a tendency to blame who did what wrong. Rather than to focus on what can we learn from this, what 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 good can we take from this, uh, what was the opportunity? Mm. So, um, and, and then of course, if you make a mistake, and this is a very difficult thing for leaders to do, and again, if you look at uh, ethical lapses we've seen in the in the last few months in organisations, how difficult it is for leaders to to face the media and say we apologise. We made a mistake. We're going to fix it. But we do apologize. It was a mistake. Or we were not diligent enough. Or we were not compliant enough. Or something went wrong somewhere. Now, I understand there's pressure because the lawyers stand behind them and tell them what they could say and what not. So That's that, the challenge. So that they don't incriminate themselves and have a class action suit against them. Yet, there is also a way of, of again, showing humility and say, you know, feeling deeply sorry for what you did. And, and, and people know that they've done wrong, but they'd like to also, for the, at least the first few days, put their head in the sand and hope that it goes away. Oh, man, this is all so darn difficult, Leon. I mean, uh, that's exactly what happens. The lawyers get involved and they say, don't incriminate yourself. So the way you apologize. And if you then go and analyze that apology or that statement, then you realize it's not sincere. It's, it's not, not authentic. Ethical. It's not authentic. I heard on 702, the, I think it was Wednesday morning on the public holiday, where Eusebius McKaiser was sort of pulling apart the apology or the statement by Floyd Chavambu from the EFF yes. for assaulting the, the journalist outside parliament. And, and he was ripping it apart because he was saying third-person statements, you know, it's, it's not authentically saying, I'm sorry, because mm. you are so cautious and you've got Dalim Porfu, of course, one of the mm. top leaders who is an advocate who would advise him to state it in certain ways. But then are you really sorry? So it's a, do you have an ethical apology and you have an apology and you have a political apology? Sincere apology. Sincere, I mean, different levels politi- of apology. Politically correct apology. There's correct. probably that as well. Now, t- talking about the dehumanized, dehumanization and um, uh, the th- talking the third person, it's interesting, Bill Clinton at the time, yeah. After, after his affair, he stated, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Now, that woman had a name. Her name was Monica. But he couldn't refer to her as Monica because he had to, to, to dehumanize. extract, dehumanize the situation to feel okay about it. About lying, yeah. Mm. Old man, your view, you've heard lots of apologies over your long lifespan of 76 years. I mean, is that not a dilemma? You, you, you're a CEO or a top politician, you want to be an ethical leader, you want to apologize sincerely, but you live in a world that is ruled by lawyers very often, a world that is interconnected, where you will incriminate yourself if you honestly just say, I did it, I was wrong, I'm sorry. I look at this journalist. So Floyd apologized. I think he apologized as good as he probably could in maybe meaning it and also balancing what the lawyers say. And yet the journalist is continuing the um, not prosecution. The he's still laying the case. He's going ahead with it. So, if you're wrong, you've got to just 
if you're an ethical leader, you're going to face the facts. You're going to face the, 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 the music. Yes? I think, Arden, obviously, one requires certain skill set. I mean, you mustn't go and apologize in an irresponsible manner, etc. But I do not. believe, though, you pay a terrible price once you start walking the road of rationalizing your mistakes. And, and I think don't underestimate us Africans. One thing about us, Leon, with our background in the last few years, truth and reconciliation, etc., South Africans are pretty compassionate towards somebody that apologizes sincerely and not only <laughs> when they're caught out. So all those Africans can be very forgiving. Um, we, uh, but, but people all over the world are, forgi- are very forgiving, Louis. Can you imagine that if Bill Clinton had come out at the time, and I'm using him again, again as an example, but I thought, because I thought that um, apart from that real you know, terrible ethical lapse that he had, he was really an icon of leadership. I had a lot of respect for him, thought he did a lot of good, but, um, and people would have forgiven him if he had come out quickly after the fact and said, I, I resign and I apologize to the American nation. I made a mistake. People, it would have blown over in a week. But because he denied it and he lied, they, they broke trust. People would have forgiven him, probably, if he, had, if he had admitted the mistake at an early point at, after, the, after the incident was, um, was, was published. But part of the challenge is I don't want to face the repercussions. Yes. So am I really sorry? Mm. And, and if I'm honestly sorry, then if it requires 10 years in jail, in whatever, then I will take those 10 years. That's if I'm really sorry. If I'm not really sorry, then I'm not going to apologize open enough to the point where the result will match my, my um, um, yeah, misdemeanor or whatever yeah. it is. So I guess we could have a long conversation just about this, but not easy to take accountability in today's world. Nope. Uh, but maybe we're making it more difficult because people are just less ethical. But we'll talk about that later. Can I just mention, Audrey, one thing? Leon, if you don't mind commenting, um, you know, we tend to speak apologizing for serious uh, uh, mistakes, etc. But the truth is, the danger is when you start with a little lie, and it, it accumulates, and the trouble is, by the time you are caught out, it's extremely difficult to go back. So, it goes back to your first point about the ethical uh, courage. Um, you know, be courageous and decide that you will do the right thing, and then stick to it at all cost. Because once you <laughs> you, you divert from that path, you are laying the foundation for a big fall along the way. Well, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. That's a point. I'm not intelligent enough, I think, <laughs> to remember all the lies if I have to go that d- direction. Fascinating conversation. The next statement you gave us to discuss that describes an ethical leader for you, Leon, is insight into ethics management. All right, does that speak to the third? What did you discuss with us earlier? Um, you, yes. Uh, ethics competence. It does said, speak to ethics competence. Yes, it does relate uh, to the notion of ethics competence. Okay, tell us more about that. Insight into ethics management. Now, is that again, a whole science? Has uh, that become uh, a whole science? Uh, again, it has. It has indeed. And um, the position of ethics practitioner, ethics manager, ethics officer, um, different companies call it different things. But the fact is that there are nowadays um, people employed by organizations that have the word ethics in their job title. And they follow specific evidence-based methodologies to deal with ethics. 
um, proactive but also reactive interventions. And and, and normally they start by um, by getting proper governance um, structures in place in the organization. Like um, the Companies Act requires in South Africa that all listed companies and some other companies have um, a social and ethics committee at the board level. Mm. So the, the ethics is raised to a conversation at board level and not just something that stays on a poster that say, you know, we'll do the right thing. Um, and then after that is assessing your ethics risks. And your opportunities, because if you know what your risks are, you can have a strategy to deal with those risks, and then you can have codes and policies that, um, that why you can ensure that those risks are actually mitigated, and then you can implement the code and policies and train people on ethics, especially young people coming into the organization that sometimes have, they, they don't yet understand the finer ethics of, of day-to-day engagement with, 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 um, with other people that they, that they encounter in the organization. So and they need to be they need to be coached and, and and trained on that. So and that is the system of ethics management. And then of course, very importantly, is reporting on ethics, reporting on the ethics performance as part of the organisation's reporting structures. That is crucial. Okay, so I guess one could have a whole talk or a training session and over days on on ethics management. Well, we have, for example, our at the Ethics Institute, our Ethics Officer Certification Program is a five-day program plus a practicum that needs to be submitted after 90 days. And it actually just scratches the surface of ethics management. Sure. Okay. That worries me. How many CEOs and directors have been through that sort of thing? Well, um, the people that manage ethics need to go through that. I think there are also courses for ethics champions, for example. And that would be someone at an executive level that acts as a sponsor for ethics, but also ethics ambassadors or ethics promoters that can be at any level or in any division in the organization, but carry the flag for ethics and act as a, as a, as a source for people uh, in terms of ethics advice um, at, 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 throughout the organization. All right. The next point we've touched on, but, but let's just see if we can close the loop on it. Ethical leaders are open to talk ethics. Well, we touched on it earlier, but what more can we say about this one? Talking, talking ethics, the most important uh, uh, change factor uh, if you want to, to bring about an organizational ethical culture. If you want to build an ethical organizational culture, you're not going to do it through codes, through policies, um, fear-based rules and regulations, you're going to get it out of talking about it. How do people, how do people, how did humankind grow and prevent chaos over time? Is they sorted out their ethics. By, and how did they do that? They discussed it. Mm. They, they had to, to focus on, on what our differences were and how, what is a win-win situation? How are we going to, to, to do what's, what, where everyone can win with an ethical situation? So uh, in South Africa, I think we still got to, we still have a lot to learn in terms of dealing with, um, uh, and, and having a good discourse on, on ethics, uh, challenges in society. And yeah, I'm talking about the broader ethics challenges in society. Um, uh, for example, um, gay marriages, we can refer to, um, euthanasia, abortion, um, Whereas, you know, sophisticated countries that, that have evolved ethically, for them, that's, they've, they've had so many discussions around this over many years, and they've sorted out their, their stuff. They, 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 they already answered those questions, so to speak, 10, 20, 25 years ago. So they answered the questions, but are they able to live it uh, on the right level? 
I mean, I kind of wonder, some of these conversations have become the new religion, mm. you know, human rights and all that. It's, mm. And religion's put, taking a, a, a sidestep, making space for human rights. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Human rights are very important, of course. Mm. Um, but uh, where do human rights start and stop? You know, um, yeah. if, if, if uh, it's okay if you exercise your human rights, but the minute you start contaminating my human rights, we're going to, we're going to have a problem. And, and I think so the human rights, the term, many of these concepts and terms are used loosely. You say that same, you start infringing on my ethics. My ethic, ethics yes. are different from yours. That's I, true. I think, uh, Leon? But exactly no. that's why. Uh, Louis, apologies for interrupting. I think that's exactly why we need to talk about it. Yes, conversations. If, we, if we, we walk away and we do what politicians do and we say, let's agree to disagree about an, about an ethical challenge, there's no growth in ethics. Society stagnates. But if we sit down and we talk about it, we have a, a discourse and we have a narrative and we, and we have dialogue about ethics. Um, that is how societies grow. That is how organizations grow. They identify their ethical challenges, they talk about them, and then they make, they make policies and rules around them. And, but talking about it is where everything happens. And I'm going to use one more example here. Many organizations distribute wonderful ethics related policies, uh, anti-bribery policy, uh, uh, um, responsible use of social media policy, uh, sexual harassment policy, uh, anti-sexual harassment policy, that is. But they don't explain the spirit of the policy to the employees. They just publish it on the website or distribute it in paper format as it was in, pre in previous years. So they don't, it's very important to convey the spirit. Mm -hmm. And you can only do that if you, if you, if you engage in conversation with your employees and with others that you engage with. Aldwin? Mm -hmm. Adrian, what I uh, appreciate immensely, Leon, is a lesson we've learned the hard way in terms of always trying to teach people good leadership principles. Ultimately, we've found that the only way that behavioral change occurs really is when there's proper conversation, preferably with the expert input, but where people can spontaneously contribute and talk about it. So this does not only apply to ethics management, it applies very much to any principle of behavioral change. And I think uh, we often say people stop talking, they must, they must start doing, you know, the old cliches, but quite frankly, the only way you can really do things properly is by talking about it. Because then, not only, for instance, you can give clear directions, even trying to explain the spirit of something, but that doesn't mean people embrace it. You can only embrace it when you talk about it and, and you can measure up your own uh, personal feelings about it. And then that's when voluntarily um, the behavior can change. So the point is a very, very powerful one. Indeed. Uh, talk is a very, very, as I said, a very powerful tool. Now, let's take the example, um, and it's moving away from the ethics topic for a minute, and that is autocratic leadership. You know, um, don't, don't do what I do, do what I tell you to do, or you will do this. Um, and that, that, of course, creates a fear-based culture. And in a fear-based culture, it's extremely difficult to talk about ethics, to talk about, to raise ethics concerns. And, and, and many organizations, and uh, make no mistake, um, let us not, I'm not um, dissing the notion of, 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 of strong leadership, but many organizations in this country were built on the backs of very, very autocratic and hard leaders. Mm. But they were often fair. No. And, but and, then there's a level of authenticity still. Correct. There still has to be authentic. Mm. And you find that even a hard autocratic leader is fair and can see and has empathy for the other person's point of view. 
because they leaders also, and uh, and of course that's how one also selects leaders for their for their um, for their ethics competence, but also for for having good interpersonal relations. Yeah. They have to understand that you cannot um, run a business with with only uh, the bottom line in mind and 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 negate the notion and your important responsibility to also know that you have to manage the lives of five thousand people or oversee the management of five thousand the management of five thousand people. Okay. What else describes an ethical leader in today's world for you, Leon? You have at least two more points that you want to share with us today. I think a very very important point, um, the, actually the last point I, I want to make, Arjun, is teaming up with a very good human resource management practitioner, with a with a with a with a credible HR manager, HR director. You know, uh, organisations um, pay bursaries and they say give bursaries for for the so-called scarce skills in the sciences and the accounting sciences and the natural sciences, um, but getting really good people to run your people department in your organization. It was, we've, we've shown through all our ethics risk assessments that we've conducted in organizations that one of, the main, one of the main ethics risks that emerge is that organizations that have underdeveloped or fragile ethical cultures don't treat their people well. So you need someone at the, that has the ear of the CEO, um, and that should be ideally the HR director, um, but HR is often in an organization, um, it's, it's, there's less focus on HR. It's sort of, it's there because it has to be there. But HR can play a crucial role also in, in, in facilitating getting the right apples into the organization, um, dealing with the behavior of those apples uh, harshly if, if need be, um, and, and, and of course um, making sure that, the, that the, the apples are developed into productive workers that, that, that contribute to the, to the growth of the barrel. So a practical one there, isn't it? That'll help you with the management aspect as well, no yeah. doubt. <clears throat> but the old uh, saying that half your job is one as a leader if you pick the right people around you. So you're saying on the ethical side, same thing. Okay, thank you for sharing that one. I'm interested in whether we are, where are we on ethical leadership? Are we in a better place today? Are we improving are we regressing? Sometimes you look at society, you think we're regressing. Is that because things are more visible and it's being reported more readily than in the past? Honestly, where are we with this? There's definitely improvement because there's a willingness to ask questions. There's a willingness to, to interrogate and to, to, to ask for es- explanations. Uh, nowhere in the history of in this country, has there been so much talk around ethics than there is now? And it, it's because people are really, they were fed up with the way that, um, that, the, that the country was, was run. And, and, and so there's a lot of talk about ethics, and people are understanding, starting to understand the value of ethical leadership. Okay, I can understand more talking about it, because we also have more platforms to do it on. Correct. Uh, but are but we- it, it, it creates, a, it expands a general awareness of the importance of ethics. And, 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 and ethics is, is being made real. In other words, we see unethical things happening. Ethics is no longer just some uh, moral conversation or, or a conversation about morals. It is becoming real. It is visible. And dealing with unethical behavior is becoming more prevalent. And, and so examples are being made. Um, not that I think that one, that one can really 
instill ethics in an organization by just punishing people. But that's one of the ways people learn about ethics mm. is, is by watching other people get punished. Um, but we have a saying at uh, the Ethics Institute um, that why don't we also catch those who do right instead of just catching those who do wrong? Yeah. We should and, – and ethics can – they can be uh, – good ethical behavior can be reinforced. It can be rewarded. It doesn't have to be a, a monetary bonus, but it can be a pat on the back or a, or a public declaration or acknowledgement uh, at, a, at a forum in the organization saying that thanks to this employee that made a very good decision, uh, ethical decision. Uh, but getting back to the, to the ethical leadership, um, I, I do think and, and that more and more organizations, if you look at our client base, for example, um, Arjun, uh, and our client base is, is, is growing. Although we are a non-profit organization, we do a lot of training and advisory, advisory services. But about 80% of our clients are there because they want to change. They want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And this is public sector and private sector. I'm not excluding the public sector here um, because often organizations, people think that, oh, it's the public sector that's, um, that's corrupt. It's not so. Mm. Not necessarily. Mm. Um, but, you know, then we – a small percentage of our clients, of course, we read about it in the Sunday papers and they phone us on the Tuesday. Um, so – and the rest of, the rest of uh, our clients are – they just want to tick the boxes. But a, a, a large percentage of our clients want to do the right thing. So you think it's improved? We're not regressing. I sometimes feel uh, it feels like the whole leadership industry where there is more awareness of good leadership in the world than ever before, more leadership material and books than ever before, more training available, sophisticated training than ever before. But, but yet you just see more and more glaring examples of weak leadership, of, of toxic leadership rather than authentic leadership. And I'm kind of wondering on the ethical side, and, and maybe we don't have a scientific study of this, but it's being reported more widely. So that was the argument that President Zuma had. He said, oh, you talk about a corrupt government, but look at all the corrupt people we're finding. We're also uncovering them, aren't we? Mm. We've caught more people on, on, on uh, unethical or corrupt behavior than, than, mm. than 10 years ago. Or That mm. sort of argument comes into the picture. Um, so it's the same thing, crime. Okay, well, maybe crime was always this bad. It just wasn't reported so well. Mm. It was just hidden in sort of the township areas. So it's all those factors I'm just trying to move through this maze of understanding. Are we getting better at ethical leadership? Or, uh, maybe we are then. Let's say we take your word for it. Well, we are definitely acquiring more leaders are acquiring an ethics competence. Hmm. There's, there's no doubt about that. One would say Steinoff was – they would tell you probably they have ethics committees and everything. I don't know. It would be – They tick the boxes, but they don't have an ethical culture. Yeah. Or they, conscience or conscience. something. And because, mm. you know, if you can have, you can tick all the boxes in terms of ethics management and compliance and compliance with the law and compliance to rules and regulations. But if you, if the, if the, if crunch time comes and you have to make an ethical decision, if you don't have an ethical culture, an ethics mindset, a way of thinking about ethics, you aren't going anywhere with your decision. How much of ethics is in fact trainable versus, um, installed as a child? And, and you did touch on it about a half hour ago, saying this can be trained, that can be trained. I've no doubt there are elements of ethics that can be trained. I think our values, our ethical values, are established at a very young age. Um, but isn't that the core of, of it all? Then a- absolutely. So, and and of course that you know, if if you lack ethical values, you probably see a lot of unethical behaviour. But really, what can be changed is behaviour. Ethics is about human behaviour, and human behaviour can change over time. 
and this is um, this can be done in various ways. As I said, through training, through punishment, through reinforcement of good of good behaviour, um, it it is possible. To, but you're not going to change someone's values overnight. But you at least can change their behaviour or control their behaviour. So you feel strongly that we can, if if we're at a fifty percent ratio of ethical leaders and we want it at 80%, we can actually train us there. We can train our society towards that. But in the meantime, families aren't disintegrating. Kids are not necessarily learning values as they, as they ought to have in the past, perhaps. Um, we, we know that we're paying a price as a society with a, with a crumbling of the, of the family unit, perhaps. Very much so. I mean, that's another conversation which Very maybe so. you do touch on and have mm. views on. So I'm concerned that and lack of values-based education, yeah. So, so and lack of role modelling at, at at very yeah. high levels in the country. So now we're trying to train the old tree. We're trying to bend the old tree straight. Mm. When we know an old tree that's grown skew cannot be bent mm. straight. Having said that, we are dealing with human beings who have freedom of choice. So, so yes, you can change a human being's behaviour, but it's a heck of a difficult thing. The time to bend a tree is when it's very young. So, are we fighting something here at the top of the? I don't know, the tree when the roots are all crumbling and dying and one day suddenly the tree is dead. <laughs> I wouldn't go as far to say as that, you know, we can improve from 50 to 80% the number of, of, of ethical leaders. But what I can say is that we, we can um, make very good inroads in, in, in explaining to people and getting people to, un- to really have a deep understanding. And this l- links to an earlier point of why ethics is important mm. in business and in society. Ethics prevents chaos. And, you know, ethics, unethical behavior, which is, uh, corruption is obviously one example of that, is, is, is actually it's very serious because people can die if wrong decisions are made. So if people understand how serious it is and then and, – and they can actually uh, that that is something one can one can uh, convey in business schools, for example. Mm. But the problem with business schools is that there's normally one module on business ethics and a few few um, interesting um, case studies that are discussed there. But there's no again the managerial competence, managing ethics in the organisation, that is not taught at business schools. Five uh, percent of the le- lecturing staff that teach ethics they 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 convey the ethics message. But then the other 95% teach um, business students to chase the bottom line. Mm. So, you know, so what happens at the end of the day? They chase the dime. Oh, goodness, yes. And when the pressure is on, that's when we all show our true colors. Yes. And pressure is more on these days than ever before. There's less fat in an organization. There's more pressure to perform. There's more competition, cost escalation. I mean, we can go on and on. Everything impacts everything, social, political, economic. So now the pressure is there all the time. Leaders are in pressure cookers all the time. And therefore, their true colors come to the fore in terms of whether I have a deep underlying ethical belief system or not. Old man? I didn't want to be too quiet. Yeah, well, I was just thinking, uh, Leon, the, to, to encourage ethic talk, that's what you're saying. To take some, some, uh, some mature facilitation. What concerns me mostly as an old man in this country is yes we're starting to talk and we certainly are are prone to give our opinions but we right now are developing a very serious blaming and labeling culture and that's not the same as talking about it etc in other words somebody does wrong and maybe the person is blamed as being a terrible trespasser or sinner or the case and be and quite frankly then the talk stops the conversation in that sense stops so i'm really concerned that leaders out there be wary 
uh, our habit in our culture is to blame and to label people. And immediately you live up to you how you label other people. And other people tend to live up to the label you place on them as well. So in that sense, uh, that's not ethic talk really mm. as such. Leon, last minute or two. Sure. What's the most valuable thing you can say to leaders about ethical leadership? The most important thing they need to know. Let's direct it at CEOs, top politicians, parents. <laughs> um, what is the message, you, essence message, you want leaders to take away from these conversations we have? As a leader, you have a fiduciary duty to all stakeholders and not just one or two stakeholders, like the shareholders. That is, for me, the core. And that is also the spirit of the King Report on Corporate Governance, mm. is that multiple stakeholders, of course, stakeholders can have, um, uh, their interests uh, need to be legitimate before you, you heed to their interests or, 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 or respond to their interests. But you have to take into account the interests of multiple stakeholders. Business no longer exists for the sake of the owners and shareholders only. Final word, old man? Mm, agree fully with that. Thank you. Yeah, copying out very easily. Thank you, Leon. Really been fabulous having you here. Leon from Fieren, Dr. Leon from Fieren of the Ethics Institute. And you were introduced to us by SIOPSA, Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology of South Africa. What a fascinating conversation. Um, we need to have more of these, I'm guessing. But it's a bit like MBA is one module in leadership, one module in ethics, and off we go. <laughs> Let's talk marketing and finance and profit and, and all those things. We, we do say one thing in our society, but we don't necessarily uh, sustain it through our actions. So we appreciate you for coming through. It was my pleasure, and uh, I'm passionate about this field, and uh, we believe, I believe personally that I'm making a difference, and I'm sure the Ethics Institute, I've, I'm, I've no doubt that we are making a difference in building an ethical society. Leon von Fieren, uh, good luck with the battle of uh, fighting unethical leadership. We'll continue our battle in fighting toxic leaders and, and uh, developing authentic leaders as you develop ethical leaders. There's a strong correlation. And we appreciate your time. That's our Leadership Masterclass for today. Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to being with you again next week, every Monday, live 12 to 1 on Cliff Central. This is cliffcentral.com.